You staying home tonight? I hadn't planned on it, no. Plan on it. Well, here we go. Hi, Dan. Thanks for thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, except um, England are out of the World Cup. Oh, that's the soccer sports ball thing. Yeah. Were you following that pretty closely? Yeah. Oof. You, you but, s- but I have to say that um, I'm not as sad as I would be in previous years because we've kind of like turned around how the country views soccer. Um, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, like back in the day, we used to have like the stars like Wayne Rooney and um, David Beckham mm-hmm. and all of those people. And they were just hot headed. Uh, they were hot headed off the pitch. They were hot headed on the pitch. Okay. And for that reason, they um, couldn't get their act together. They all wanted to be the star. Yeah. And they never produced anything. Um, so our country was super angry and we had like a long line of managers that might have been in it for themselves, not really, um, caring about England football, but more about their career. Mm. Um, but this year turned things around because we had a bunch of, like we had one of the youngest teams. So a lot of 19 year olds, we had probably the most inexperienced team and we had a manager that was so charismatic. There was this meme in, in fact of him, uh, comforting, uh, one of the opposite team members when he missed a penalty shot. I saw that picture, actually. Yeah. So that kind of characterizes uh, uh, the England football this year round. So um, I think a lot of people are really happy with the result, even it, though it's disappointing. It's a little bit easier to get behind uh, a team like that. Yeah, for sure. So we're, so you are, to explain to people who don't know, you are... Um, you're an English native, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what, like, I mean, you're just going to have to tell that whole story. I mean, we're, <laughs> yeah. I well, forgot well, that we're, we're recording this. I thought we were just having a conversation. <laughs> yeah. People that's what like, everyone always thinks. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what everyone always thinks. Well, first, if you could just explain real quick what, what you do at net or what, yeah, so what, I, net, what, it, what net is and then what you do at net. Absolutely. Uh, so I work for an American organization called um, Net Ministries. It's a Catholic organization before it's an American. I should have said that, mm-hmm. really. It's a Catholic organization. Um, it stands for National Evangelization Teams. And each year we uh, train a bunch of young people to go around the country and evangelize and do disi- discipleship in a Catholic kind of context. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came over about 10 years ago to serve as one of the volunteer missionaries that we recruit each year. And then I stuck around for many, many years. And now <laughs> I'm in this position um, doing content developing and supervising uh, a bunch of the staff members that oversee the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's great. So what, it. so what is your, yeah, what is your uh, position entail? You're supervising the missionaries? Yes, I'm I'm directly supervising the people that directly supervise the missionaries. Oh, so okay, I, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So um, there, how many staff members do we have? We have uh, 16 staff members that are dedicated to our 16 teams. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we recruit 185-ish young people um, and put them on teams of 10 to 14. And each of those teams has a dedicated staff member that uh, cares for the log- logistics of the team 
And then in pairs, as a man and a woman, they uh, will care for each team uh, pastorally. So the men looking after the men, the women looking after the women, and both looking after the welfare of the whole team. Gotcha. And so, so how long? What's the time span from your your first exposure to net to now? What's the what? How many years is that? It has to be pretty much around exactly ten years. Okay. And what? I mean, I, hmm? what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say I was in, I was in England when I heard about it. Yeah. How old? How old were you? That would make you seventeen. <laughs> no, I I'm 33 now. So I was actually 20 22 when I heard about Net. Okay. Um and what's wow. what's been what's been your 10 years? I mean no, the 10 year perspective I f- I feel like is a pretty good What what how has uh, Net changed or not changed over those 10 years? Gosh, I mean Net changes content slightly Really, it doesn't change a whole lot, but the culture shifts. Yeah, just like as a, as a as an apostolate, as a as a ministry, what what's been like stand stand what has standed standed what <laughs> stands out what stood <laughs> yeah what what do you see uh, as the biggest like what are you noticing as the biggest difference? I, I guess the emphasis um, of our ministry used to be primarily evangelistic mm-hmm. retreats you know, mm-hmm. um, would go around just doing a retreat and then leaving a parish, um, or a school after having evangelized. Yeah. Um, so and, and when I say evangelize, I mean like an initial proclamation, like mm-hmm. an actual proclamation that Jesus is Lord and an invitation to, um, uh, sort of live in the church in a relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So it shifted from that to, also providing a side to the ministry where we're doing um, ongoing discipleship, yeah. where we, we put a, a team in a, in, in a uh, parish for, or a school for the f- full nine months that they would serve as a mission, missionary with NET. Um, and that focus has shifted. So now uh, about one third of our teams are discipleship teams. Yeah, discipleship is so, <laughs> it's like, it's like the next big thing. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but it's so um, it's so big right now. It's in everything. I feel like uh, any ministry that wants to start up from scratch right now that doesn't have the word discipleship in their name or on their charter somewhere yeah. is starting at, is starting at a loss. It feels like. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, even like separating it, it, it is a buzzword. Yeah, you know, it has been a buzzword for a few years now, like five, six, seven years now. And, um, but it's really something that should have happened yesterday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even when we first started talking about discipleship, it should have already been happening, um, in a concrete way. And I, and I think in different ways throughout the history of the church, I mean, it has happened. I mean, one can look to, uh, the example of, um, Don Bosco mm-hmm. and can see that he really took discipleship um, seriously, yeah. I mean, he's known for you know being the patron of youth ministry, and I think all of youth ministry he he gets right, you yeah. know, from evangelization um, to you know walking with young men and women, um, and literally on their pathhood to sainthood, yeah, um, pathway to sainthood. Um, 
it's it, yeah so so it's it's something that should have happened yesterday and it had and it did happen yesterday in pockets but it just it never sort of spread to every corner of the church and it needs to um, and, and what what's your t- take on like um you know the word discipleship i think part of what uh what makes it so popular right now is it mean it means something very distinct in the minds of people that hear it today i mean in the catechism it says um uh, it says catechesis uh was the whole of the church's efforts to make disciples so like catechesis in some ways is discipleship in this apprenticeship but there's something about the word discipleship and maybe you could trace it back to forming intentional disciples with sherry waddell but i think there's something there's something in the zeitgeist of the word that that like really captures something different that people are trying to go trying to um trying to do and it seems like you know there is discipleship that is happening but they just aren't they haven't been calling it that you know what i mean like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the word catechesis as well, like if you look in the general directory, they, they talk about it as the kind of entire entirety of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, from the initial proclamation to becoming a mature Christian. Yeah. So that would include within there somewhere, both evangelization and discipleship. Yeah. Um, but I think that we have seen just the need to kind of um, distill what it means um uh, what catechesis means and and to uh, extract elements of it that um, need particular focus. And discipleship is definitely one of those elements that um, needed a, l- a little bit of focus. And, and I think that, you know, looking to our Protestant brothers and sisters and seeing how they do um, the relational side of Christianity yeah. so well mm-hmm. and effectively, um, we as a catholic you know church um realize okay there's there's a lot to learn here um and we need to start kind of focusing in this area so so yeah. take take me back to uh to dan <laughs> little dan in england cuz you probably i mean what i want to hear the story of uh dan growing up and the journey to now being on a podcast and quoting the general directory of catechesis in a casual <laughs> manner. So like what is what has been the trajectory because I mean for a little bit of background for people listening who care. I mean you, of all the of all the people that I've come in contact with over the internet, you're the person that lots of people around me have constantly said your name. Like multiple people have said, you really need to get in touch with Dan Driver because I think you and him would really get along. <laughs> like you, like um, so. Anyways, I'm I'm really curious to find. I know like tidbits of of your past, but um, but yeah, man, where like bring us back to the origin stories. Right. I mean, I think I just want to start by saying that my story um, is really just one of showing God's love for all of us. Um, and how crazy he is about every single person um, that is called by his name. Yeah. Um, my story is one from darkness into it's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recognize that, you know, not everybody's story has uh, the kind of dramatic, heart wrenching narrative. Um, but that it really is just a symbol of God's love um, for 
all of man. And hopefully it's also a, an example of, for hope, for hope for people who find themselves in a dark place and, and especially for hope for people who have family members, friends, um, who are going, you know, down a path, um, that might be imbued with sin or, um, in the depths of the culture of death. So, Mm. A little bit about me. I mean, I I come from a a small town. Uh, We we don't call it a small town. We call it a village. So I come from a village. Um, It sounds so so rustic. (laughs) Uh, The village has existed for four times the... Well, no. In fact, it has existed since... um, uh, It's existed a long time. So the Shire. Uh, So you lived in the the Shire. Shire. I live in the Shire. I mean... Yeah, I I literally live in Berkshire, or as a Brit would say, Berkshire. Okay. Um, and I live on the Thames, so it's the, the the our largest river in the south. Um, that goes through London. It continues going a little bit. Um, and you'll end up in my village called Sonning on Thames, and Sonning is uh, picturesque. It really, really is. There's a beautiful pub in there. Um, it's quiet. You know. Weekly activities include playing cricket and drinking, sipping warm beer. So um, literally the, the Shire. You literally, it's literally the Shire. Yeah. And wow. growing up as a kid, you don't appreciate that. Yeah. I, mean, I get like coming to America and showing people pictures and telling them about my village. They think it's the most idyllic thing ever. And for me, it was just boring. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't completely boring, but it was one of those places where you didn't really want to. It wasn't the final destination. It was. Yeah. It was. You want to get out, get into the city. So I grew up in in this beautiful little village. Um, in in a good family. Uh, my mum and dad, great people. My mum has Irish background, so there's there's Catholic Catholic influence in the family, and she, mm-hmm. um, baptized us and, uh, got us through confirmation. My dad is um, the closest thing that you'd get to David Attenborough. <laughs> Who's um, David? Who's who is that? David Attenborough is a world famous naturalist. You know that voice that you hear on the British voice that you hear on like nature shows. Yeah, that's David Attenborough. Oh man! Um, so your dad was like out there narrating like hawks devouring rabbits and stuff. Your dad was just like, "There's a hawk." <laughs> yes. Sure, swoops why not? <laughs> in on, swoops in on his prey. <laughs> so that was yeah, your dad. Yeah, that was that was my childhood right there. Wow. Um, kind of growing up with that. But uh, along with that, you know, my dad's uh, childhood hero would have been David Attenborough, but his father's childhood hero was uh, Darwin. Um, okay. And Charles Darwin is, is, is the, um, you know, the guy behind... Um, natural selection evolution mm-hmm. um evolution is natural selection um and he he wrote you know a lot of books about that my dad also kind of followed in that footpath but what undergirds particularly darwin is this kind of pervasive atheistic um philosophy mm-hmm. um that um there must be a natural reason that excludes God for everything. Yeah. So he's, he, he's a self-proclaimed agnostic. Okay. Um, which basically means that 
he has decided that he hasn't decided. Yeah. Um, he has made the decision to not follow God based on the fact that he can't decide whether or not God has existed. Yeah. Um, I feel I feel for that. I feel for that. When I try to figure out um, how I should even eat, if it's okay to eat bread, I start I I I want to just be agnostic. <laughs> like it's just it's going to change 20 years from like you feel so overwhelmed, right? <laughs> like how you should work out, should you do high reps low volume or or high volume low rep? It's like I just want to be agnostic about it. It's so hard. I I no, I can really feel for that. Yeah. No, I think that that's true. I mean, it there is it's easy to be indecisive about things. Yeah. Um it just becomes difficult when it's being indecisive about the most important thing. Yeah. You know, like you can live without bread. Um it's fine. It's trivial. But this is a question that could have significance beyond whether or not you eat bread. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll we'll have significance rather. Was this were whether- your parents was this something that I mean you're you're saying this is how your dad was kind of thinking but was that something that was on your mind as a young kid is this something that your your dad was you know pretty open about or is this something you found out later or Yeah, yeah. He's he's always been open about it. He never mm-hmm. came to church with my mum and that kind of stuff. But yeah. I I, th- I think the point of me me saying this is that he is an incredible man. Um, his moral standards are are very good. They're not rigid. They're just wholesome. Yeah, he sounds kind of a little bit of an intellectual. He's not. Oh, okay. So he's, he, he's, he wasn't reading Charles Darwin. He was just influenced by Charles Darwin. Yeah, okay. no, I mean, I'm, I think he has read The Origin of Species, but okay. he, he's a simple man. He's the kind of – he plays rugby even to this eight to this day. Wow. He plays cricket, and he goes to a pub on a weekend and – um, if they've won a rugby match, he'll be the one who'll be leading them in song on top of a table wow. in a pub. <laughs> wow. he's, he's, he's great. He's an incredible, likable uh, man, but he's he's a simple folk. Yeah. He's he's a hobbit. Yeah, he, he likes to, from... he likes to garden. He likes to drink, and he likes to play games. Yeah. Like simple man, Sim- simple. Yeah, yeah. So and and uh, and you know the the idea of uh, faith for him is 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 a little bit too much of an adventure mm. to. Um, consider taking yeah. seriously. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I guess you know, as in having that background in the family, where you've got a great mother and a great father, and um, both are morally sound. Um, from a worldly perspective, it kind of, you know, has an impact on a young person's mind, particularly when young people if left to their kind of own devices in Catholicism and without any real guidance or discipleship, um, they think that the faith is really an ethical system, mm-hmm. a system of moral codes. So in my mind, if I can be good without God, why bother going to church? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like church was boring growing up. There was, there was nothing there f- for me that, Anybody took time to kind of show? Um, were there a lot? And, of, were there a lot of Catholics in the Shire? In the Shire, I don't know, but in the next <laughs> town over, um, there, there there were Catholics. You know, we had we had a church, um, but it the church was, you know, it was weird looking, um, and 
the the sense of anything beyond just us getting together and singing cheesy songs mm-hmm. um didn't really it didn't really go beyond that yeah. for me were there a lot of other churches in in your town your village or the village next to next door maybe but it's, i mean it's it's way different yeah. in england yeah. you know the main uh faith if there was a main faith um used to be um anglicanism mm-hmm. you know now it's probably islam um, but Anglicanism, uh, so, so being a Catholic was already just kind of odd. You're already a part of one of the kind of fringe churches. Yeah. Um, and you know, like no young people were there, mostly old people, mm-hmm. um, no on fire priests that, um, really kind of stood out. It's not knocking any of the priests that, uh, I, I knew they were all lovely, but um, just nothing really that would appeal to a young person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just natural to kind of drift away from that. And, you know, there was a, um, you know, when I was growing up, there was this uh, uh, Catholic boys club mm-hmm. that I used to go to. And the kids there were just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> they were just like the, the worst, <laughs> like stereotypical bully kids that, you know, you could script into a story and for the purposes of the viewer wanting to just hate those kids <laughs> <laughs> like they were that they it was like that um that might be a bit extreme but <laughs> um yeah so it again like the association in my mind was catholic plus nasty people yeah that's the same thing yeah i went to a catholic uh, um primary school which i guess you'd call a grade school and it was just more of the same teachers that weren't faithful or at least apparently they weren't faithful um, and kids that didn't really care about the faith at all. So by the time it got to confirmation age, like I um, didn't want to get confirmed because none of my friends were. My mum managed to convince me um, and she did so with a box of Kleenex um, and her tears mm. streaming down her face when I told her I didn't want to <laughs> be a part of it. Yeah. Um, and I said, yeah. So I reluctantly got confirmed. But also around that time, I just struggled with um, life. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wasn't particularly um, troubled as a kid because I had a good family and um, that kind of stuff. But there was, there's always been a restlessness in my heart. Always. Um, what's, there's always been the question of why, why are we doing school? What's the purpose of school? Well, school is here so that, you know, when you're older, you can get a job. Well, why, Mm. why? And okay, if that is true, then why am I like coloring right now in primary school, you know, in grade school? Why am I coloring? Why am I reading Roger Red Hat? How does, (laughs) how does that like, so I think just within me, there's always been this like restlessness of, I don't get what we're doing here, why we're doing it. Um, I also didn't care for um, social cliques, you know. I've always been a social child, um, but I didn't either understand or it just wasn't important to me um, to, you know, be part of a kind of clique, yeah. you know. So so I just floated around, and for that, um, it got me into trouble Socially, I, I was happy to be kind of loyal to um, 
a couple of friends. Mm -hmm. But that got me into trouble because they wanted to be a part of cliques and there was sort of vying for each other's attention within those cliques. Um, So I experienced a fair amount of rejection as a kid, both from uh, friends and from uh, teachers as well. And that kind of just left a big question in my heart of, well, what's, what's the purpose of all this? Ultimately leading me to living like an alternative kind of way of life. You know, by the time I hit 15 or 16, I realized girls are attractive and um, some girls showed interest in me. So then my life sort of headed in that direction um, and became kind of sexualized without any kind of um, formation in my life. my my life philosophy was just live and let live and um, be who you are supposed to be, um, which which is true. But it was just without any guidance or formation. So uh, around sixteen, I picked up a guitar, started playing guitar, started doing drugs, started hanging out with the alternative crowds, um, and I finally found some kind of meaning or purpose in my life what um, made you what made you pick up the guitar at 16 girls girls <laughs> Girl, girls <laughs> probably probably <laughs> me girls. too probably girls yeah me too probably. I, I don't know if it was anything sincere i mean yeah. I, I, I wasn't musical before that yeah what were you playing what were you like what were you what what, what were you using to get the girls what were you like really <laughs> mostly playing i was playing um bands like the clash yeah. which is an old british band and um uh green day yep. and um blink 182 <laughs> yeah 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 uh so yeah that that kind of i was into that kind of sort of alternative um scene mm-hmm. and yeah I started playing in a band probably when i was 18 i think or 19 but at that point you know there was a there was a big sort of turmoil in my life you know growing up I, I had to move to schools a few times because of uh, different issues. Um, uh, bullying that the school wasn't really paying attention to. And um, another, when, really early on, being hit by a teacher. And then later on, um, uh, you know, being bullied by uh, other kids. Um, and just constantly experiencing rejection and relationship wait um, so was that a, like a discipline like was the teacher trying to discipline you or was it just like I, yeah man. it was it was it was because i wasn't interested in reading these books yeah like stupid little books they gave me nightmares and um my my parents said you don't need to read those yeah and teacher said you need to read those now go sit at the back of class on your own and read them um, and then she just sometimes would walk past me. And if I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, she'd clip me around the back of the head. Dang. Uh, <laughs> Sounds wild so, out in the Shire. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. And then later on just having, um, issues with troubled kids that yeah. use me as a scapegoat, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of climaxed in my, um, my finals year and, you know, I was living this alternative lifestyle and I was, I was obviously a rebellious kid. Like mm-hmm. I remember when, um, the Iraq, Iraq war happened. Yeah. I was the only one that protested it in my school and I, um, you were like a one man protest out there. Yeah. I tagged up my shirt, 
walked out to the field and sat there and protested the entire day. Wow. Um, and a teacher came out and tried to discipline me. And I said, I'm exercising my right to protest the Iraq war. How old were you? Uh, gosh, when was it? When was, when was all of that like going down? Um, it says year 2003. 2003. And I'm 33 right now. So, uh, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Something. I don't know. Something. <laughs> math. It's yeah. math. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. Um, so you so were I, 17 or something. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, it sounds like you were kind of perfectly, um, drawn to this like alternative, I mean, I don't want to. I guess punk kind of lifestyle was kind of per- perfect for you in your situation. I mean, you had no. It sounds a little lonely, but also, you know, you have good reason to be upset. <laughs> you know, like good yeah. reasons, like well thought out reasons. You're thinking hard about your life and why you're doing things, and and uh, just upset. Yeah, I, and I wasn't so much upset because I, I've always been able to move on from things mm-hmm. you know I, I was more driven by positivity yeah, yeah so i was rather than feeling like i was being driven away from something and um like lots of my friends were like they were angry mm-hmm. i was driven i was just misguided and my passion was misdirected mm-hmm. um because i was very passionate and and happy um with the with the life that i'd found um, like, as I said, like I've, I found, f- f- somewhat fulfillment and meaning in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, at that time, you know, I eventually got like permanently, permanently expelled from my school. So I was in my finals year. So in England we have s- sixth form. And at that time we had a levels and I was in my second year of A-levels, which are kind of like doing a, um, what do you call it? An associate's degree. Okay. Um, I was in my finals for that, the final year. And all of this weird stuff started happening. Um, layers and layers of betrayal from friends started happening. There was a group of my friends that I've known since I was, you know, knee high. Um, and they were they were they did well at school but they were you know troublemakers and um they were doing like some stupid stuff around school like smoking in the photography dark room um they taped a um mentally handicapped kid to the bottom of a table and paraded him around the school they broke into one of their deputy headmaster's offices to um, steal the tape. They, um, encouraged, you know, fights and different things like this. And, and then there was a bunch of other instances happening around the school. Like somebody broke into the school library. And I remember one day being called into an office by the teachers and they had this laundry list of accusations and it was all being pegged upon me. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I hadn't done not one of them. Now, I was obviously a, a rebel. Yeah. Like I had my eyebrow pierced. Yeah. Um, I had like spiky hair. I would skateboard in school. Um, I'd smoke after school. I would, I would hang around with the kids that smoked weed and that kind of stuff. So, um, like, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm an ob- obvious target. But they they pulled me into a room and started listening this off. I start getting really upset and and try to deny it. And they said, well. 
if you didn't do it, why are you getting so upset then? Mm. <laughs> like, well, I didn't do it. Yeah. And I later found out that this was one of my oldest group of friends that pegged me on this. Dang. Um, and it was kind of heart-wrenching. Yeah. And, and this happened around the same time as outside of school, someone vandalized the cricket field that my dad played at. Mm-hmm. And the police came around to my house accusing me of it. Hmm. And um, it was the same group of friends. And they pegged me again. Dang. Um, why and you, this was... Why do you think they kept using you as as that person? I don't know. Weird. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I guess it maybe it was an addictive thing. Maybe they realized they could get away with it or that the, the people at school believed it, that... Um, you know, that they could just create this narrative that must be true. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know. To this day, I don't know. So, what, um, so yeah, what, what happens after that, after both of those incidences? I mean, after that, like, the deputy head had it in for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the headmaster didn't. The headmaster, I think, was um, pretty objective about it and wanted the best for me. So then the headmaster went on vacation, which made the deputy head... Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, made him acting head. And within that week he, he expelled me. Um, so I go home and you can imagine what it's like. I've been rejected by my friends. I've been rejected by the education system. I just, you know, screw you, all of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I can't imagine. Like, yeah. So I go home and I, I, I was like an IT, um, kind of, I did IT, I did business, I did economics. Um, so a lot of it was on the computer. So I just destroyed everything. Yeah. Then I went, I went to the local restaurant and got a job peeling potatoes. <laughs> um, the same day that I was expelled and three days into that job, my parents call me into a room and they have this document in front of them highlighting every area where the school had broken the law and expelling me. Oh, dang. And they were like, you need to go back to school. I said, well, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, cry- I'm like crying at this point. I'm yeah. really angry. I'm using words that are too uh, yeah. rude to use right now. Yeah. But I'm, I'm distraught. I'm yeah. like, I'm not going back. And they said, no, you need to go back. Cause you and, have to finish this. And was it yeah. like, I'm not going, partially because all of those old friends are still there. And partially because wh- why am I even in school to begin with? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was kind of, you know, after I got over the upset, I bounced back off things pretty well. So after I got over the fact that I'd just been betrayed and expelled from school and it was embarrassing and I'm, I'm an embarrassment to everyone at the school. Yeah. Um, I was, I was ready to just get on with life and just let life take me wherever it takes me. You know, I didn't, I always lived in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so this was just kind of uh, annoying for me because I didn't want to go back, as you say, to like the why of why am I even at school? And then I didn't also want to go back and, uh, you know, I'm an embarrassment. Everybody knows what has happened. I'm, yeah, I'm an embarrassment. And um, so I go back and I finish and I and I uh, pass everything. And I leave school after that, having got my A levels, very low marks but having got my A levels um, and I start 
with a job. And, you know, at this time I'm doing like different kind of drugs and stuff. And I got it into my head that I could get away with growing marijuana on my windowsill, <laughs> which, you know, if, you're, if your out? dad's like, well, if your dad's like David Attenborough, it doesn't really pan out well. <laughs> yeah. Because he's going to recognize a lot of different plants from yeah. a distance, which he did because he would just drive past and be like, oh, I wonder what that is. So I named the plant Mary, Mary Jane. Uh-huh. And um, I come home to check on Mary Jane at one time after work and the pot is there but no plant is there uh, it's just crumbs of soil your dad had and smoked it all <laughs> <laughs> I picked it up and I looked at it um, and I was filled full of just confusion and dread and I turned around and he was in the doorway oh, like, oh dang so then at that point they just gave me an ultimatum like look this has got to stop or you're leaving home and I said fine I'll leave home mm. so so this started a pretty intense journey for me because I ended up moving in my town which is Reading so this is a, a like a relatively large town which should be a city and I started squatting in a house with um a group of friends and i and i and i decided to um go to college there because you know college is, was at least super cheap in england like i could afford it you know with a paper route mm-hmm. like it, it was that cheap so um i started doing music at college and and living in this squat which is a place you know like a building that's been kind of abandoned and basically druggies just moving um and I'm now at this point in my life, I I become immersed into a rave culture. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to these illegal raves, which you know how this works, and it's a culture that probably exists here as well, but it's massive in England. And uh, how it works is that there are a group of you know either drug gang members or whatever who find and locate like abandoned warehouses. They fill the abandoned warehouses, the different rooms, with DJs and speakers and 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 drug dealers, and then they send out a text that night at like 11 p.m. and they'll say it's the, the, the raves are called free parties. They're free, mm-hmm. free parties. Yeah. So they'll say free party this location this time. Be there. Um, so I was on that text circuit, um, and we would show up at you know 20 past 11 um because you just get in the car and you go and within the hour the place is full um with hundreds of youngish people that are there doing ecstasy cocaine heroin ketamine lsd all of these really intense drugs and raving for um you know up to 72 hours so is um, so is the idea that you throw the free party, but then you're going to make money on on all the drug deals and stuff that you're bringing, like people that you're bringing in, you sell them drugs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there, there's drug dealers walking around with bags of different kinds of drugs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that became kind of the culture that I was immersed in, and um, I just you know when you when you're doing those kind of drugs, you're you're like the feeling that they give you is one of contentment and um uh empathy mm-hmm. and love so 
you have all of these artificial feelings associated with the culture. So it feels like it's great, but in reality, undergirding it is this incredible darkness. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at that time as well, like started dating this uh, um, Muslim girl mm-hmm. and she was like Muslim, like some Christians are Christian. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. they, they're sort of Christian by name, but yeah. then, and, and they might even read the Bible or go to church, but um, the reality of their lived out life doesn't reflect their beliefs. Yeah. So she was kind of like that. So we, we actually um, lived together. Uh, after the the squat, like I, when I met her, I started dating her, and um, I realized that there was something in my life that was a little bit out of control. Because you know, um, you know, I had this one friend who Cam, and we'd hang out a lot, and it was probably after five months of hanging out with Cam that I realized that Cam was not a guy but a girl. Oh wow. Um, she was a drug dealer. I mean, she 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 would wear this like army trench coat, um, had a shaved head, um, looked like she could throw a punch, um, had a voice like a guy, spoke like a guy, um, commented on women like a guy. Mm-hmm. G- great, beautiful heart as well. Like um, someone who I genuinely liked, but was in trouble with a lot of like gang stuff mm-hmm. so and police stuff so she was basically on the run constantly from <laughs> different sources Man. um but you know hanging out with her like that was one thing that just made me go oh whoa this is weird yeah another thing that made me go this is weird was we were at a free party and i walk in and inside this warehouse where the the music is so loud like there are a wall of speakers when i say a wall i mean it's probably 15 foot by 30 foot of large speakers Dang. and pumping out the same music. So as the beat is going, you know, the room is full of smoke from the smoke machine and then from people smoking. It would just shift a block of smoke about a yard out and then back with every beat. So this this wall of smoke was just going. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. So, you know, walking around here, I remember the one time that just really made me go, okay, this is crazy. There was this kid. He was 12 years old. He must have been 12, no older than that. He had two leashes with two um, German shepherds on them, like snarling. And behind him, like two or three really large men. And as People were walking past. He was shouting orders to some of the people in the room who were two or three times his age and twice his size, ordering them what to do next. And the words that came out of his mouth were, should never be heard by anyone. Um, Weird. So he was like a 12-year-old ringleader for a group of people. He must have. The only Yeah. I don't think he was a ringleader. Mm -hmm. I think that he was the son of someone there who had the most power so you just don't mess with him yeah and and, you know coming away from that i realized okay this culture is not necessarily something i want to be a part of yeah yeah earlier earlier you were talking we were talking about like your draw to maybe an alternative lifestyle or or, you know like this more punk kind of scene and and you made a comment that it wasn't necessarily out of anger as much as it was you know, seeking a different route and like positivity. Do, do, did you feel like this culture 
was more angry or more positive i mean it definitely doesn't sound like woodstock i mean it doesn't sound like (laughs) peace love peace and love kind of well yeah it's it's a weird it's constantly juxtaposed because you have there people that do desire that and most of the people do Mm -hmm. um but then you have the people that you know underneath all of it there's a great darkness of you know drug dealing which is often linked with like sex trafficking and all of this different there's this horribly dark world yeah um so most of the you know consumers of that culture are peace and love and um all of that kind of stuff and um socialist in nature i was i was definitely socialist and um a lover of communist ideals Mm -hmm. um and um yeah so and a lot of people were so that that was definitely there that was definitely there but um the intensity of that culture was not sustainable for me and and there were times when you know i'd take these intense drugs and um experience really adverse effects like Mm. days later like effects that made me think I was going to die. So I wanted to make sure that um, I was looking after myself. And at that time, I met that Muslim girl, as I as I mentioned, and mm-hmm. um, we were dating. But she, she was the first person who showed to me that, you know, you can believe in God as a uh, young person. Mm-hmm. And um, and it wasn't weird. Yeah. Um, she made it attractive. Um so you, so you start you start feeling like this is not the scene for you and you yeah do, do you start making a decision to kind of stop, stop uh to get off the free party text uh list Well I didn't I wasn't that clever <laughs> <laughs> I I all, all I did is I moved out of the um squat and I started living um cohabiting with this girl mm-hmm. and during that time we we did a lot of music together she's an incredibly talented musician She's still doing music right now and, um, you know, tours in the UK um, and other places as well. And so we, we'd, we'd write music together and she took me to her country of origin or her family's country of origin. We went to Iran. So um, around that time in Iran, we were there for a couple of weeks. Um, we talked about like doing music together for life Mm -hmm. and um we had heard about this music school in uh a town called guildford called the acm or the academy of contemporary music and it's it's the place to go if you're serious about wanting to be a rock musician or a contemporary musician of any kind Mm -hmm. um i mean the 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 faculty there the teaching staff the master classes are next level you know um they're famous musicians that teach. So I um, I end up uh, applying and she ends up applying for vocals. I end up applying for guitar. And then we both end up moving to Guildford and we buy a house, not buy a house, we rent a house together. So we're staying in this house together and now we're studying. So I'm kind of out of the rave culture now. I'm, I'm now like focused on I'm going to study performance guitar um, I was in a band at the time and, um, I started a new band as well when I, when I moved to Guildford and the, the school was awesome. Like I was taught by a guy called Pete Friesen who like hardcore guitarist, 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's amazing. He he played for um, Alice Cooper. Um, wow. And wow. if you've ever seen Wayne's World, he was in Wayne's World because he was in Alice Cooper's band. Um, and he was like one of my main teachers. Um, and he also played in Iron Maiden as well as one of the guitarists for a while. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the level of like, teaching ship it was amazing it was it was a dream come true for me because my like at this point in my life when i when i decided what the meaning of life was for me i looked to my the bands that i listened to and at that point my tastes had shifted from like punk and um to alternative rock and funk Mm -hmm. so my idols were the red hot chili peppers and incubus and jeff buckley and um bands I, i i and you know I loved like Hendrix and um, the Doors and all that as well. So I just wanted to live like them. I I would f- look at their lives and I would try to emulate how I lived. And and I got it right. I'm like, look at Anthony Kiedis and John Frusciante. Like they 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 did free parties essentially. They did these free underground gigs where there was lots of drugs. They um, devoted their life to music they devoted their life to kind of a socialist outlook on life and fighting for what is good um in humanity um and and they had the women and so i had all of this and i was gaining more and more of it and yet something wasn't being filled in my life um so studying at rock school like like a climax really to a point where um, the drugs kind of still had a big hold on me mm-hmm. and pornography was an issue like, um, and sex was an issue. Like, so in my relationship with this, um, woman, like pornography was an issue, like for both of us. Yeah. And, um, after a while she started to realize, um, you care more about drugs and pornography than you do about me. And so she, she broke up with me mm. and um, I was convinced in my mind prior to that, that she was the one who I'd spend eternity with. Yeah. You were going to make music with her for the rest of your life. Yeah. So I had allowed her to like weave her own personality in, into mine. Mm. And when she broke up with me, it was like a ripping yeah. of that. And I'd made some really bad mistakes in, in our relationship. Yeah. Um, and you know, the culture of death was imbued in that relationship as well. So she was, she was very hurt from those side of things. Um, and now I, I'm left as an empty shell of a man, um, with no kind of real direction. I start to try and pick up my life again. And was this, was this like you had left the rock school at this point? I was still at rock You're school. Still there. She w- and she's still there. So that oh, was dang. difficult. Well, and um, one question I was going to ask is while you're at the rock school and you're looking at all these, all of your uh, role models, is is your goal to write, you know, the most popular song in England? Is your goal to just tour around? Like what, what, did, what, what did you see success as? Is like just touring? Were you putting out lots of music? Like were you, like what, what was that side of things? Yeah, so I guess the the ultimate dream was to be in a band that because uh, I, I wrote music um, that had really cool music, and we did, did do lots of shows and release music and do videos and just be in that kind of world. 
Yeah. Uh, that was the ultimate gold. Yeah. Um, Were you, was it something that everyone there is kind of, cause I imagine there's the people that are immediately wanting to get, or at least maybe this is how it seems today. It's like, you know, you're getting an agent, you're getting, you know, you're trying to almost, you're trying to kind of game the corporate route or there's the just kind of being more, um, loyal to the music in some way. Some people that are like, well, no, I just want to make really good music for, for people who really appreciate really good music. Like, which was it just those two or a third option that you were seeking after? Yeah. I mean, we did music business lessons. And one of the first things that our teacher said in that lesson was if you're here because you want to just do really good music, then good luck to you. (laughs) Um, that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, if you want to be a famous musician, you need to have your fingers in, or if you want to be a musician that can live, you want to, you want to have your fingers in many different pies. You want to be writing music for other people. You want to be in a band. You want to be doing session music for, um, recordings. You want to be, you want to have a wedding band. You're going to want to do, you want to teach. You're going to need to do all of these things in order to sustain your Mm. career as a musician. And if you think that, um, you can call the shots on what your music is like. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. Pick your favorite band right now. And um, you see the record label that they're a part of? They di- dictate what comes out. Mm-hmm. The band might write you know, 30 songs and bring it to um, the record label, and they'll say, yeah, we like five of those. You need to write another 15 so that we can pick another five. Yeah. And even out of those five, they, they'll say, yeah, we don't really like that lyric there, or we don't really like the way that you've structured the song. You need to redo it. Dang. Um, or we're actually, we've got a team of people that have redone it for you, and this is what we want you to do instead. Dang. Um, there isn't really autonomy in, in um, record label music as much as uh, people think there is so so um, the goal was just the goal was just to be a working musician in some ways like just to be able to live as a musician and do that full yeah. time yeah and and I, I think i had aspirations to um have my own record label as well eventually so i could have autonomy on the yeah. music yeah um but yeah so that was yeah the, i mean that side of things was um, there. And so, you know, at that time as well, I, I was doing lots of stuff. Like I wrote music for different people. Mm-hmm. I'd released music in, across the country. I had my own music that I did and I was in a band and I was in a cover band. And then also on the side, I had a business where, um, I was, uh, running shows in the town. So I ran about four or five different shows. Are these free in, shows? Um, are these free shows with, with big speakers? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh. they were like at local um, uh, pubs, restaurants, and one at a theater. Gotcha. Um, and you know, at that time as well, you know, they they had offered me kind of a scholarship to continue my studies at mm-hmm. school, and um, then a local bank as well had offered me a grant to start a nonprofit because I had this desire to um, tour with musicians and go to uh, severely disabled um, children's um, uh, like homes mm-hmm. and um, teach them music. Oh, wow. And do music with them. Um, because, you know, music can just sort of cut through severe disabilities and, and, and provoke reactions where um, – uh, like normal communication wouldn't. And anyone who has like a disabled uh, relative will probably know that, that music has just this ability to um, uh, 
bring alive a, a person uh, yeah. who's severely, severely disabled. Yeah, are you familiar with music therapy? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, so I yeah. actually I, I did read it into it a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had I had um, a friend Gabby on here who um, does music therapy. I think she's getting her master's in music therapy. I think. Oh, um, awesome! So she's really into that. Yeah, man, it's it's uh it's really cool. Um, and Ben Ben Folds actually has yeah. kind of become a very big you know advocate for music therapy. Really cool. There's an episode mm-hmm. people can go listen to. So wow. So I mean, did you feel? I mean, from the outside looking in, all of those things that you're engaged in, it it sounds like you're experiencing at least some success. I mean, f- I mean, at least you could write home to your parents and say, "Hey, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm doing okay." I mean, if banks are willing to write you a grant, I mean, it it feels like you were not a starving college student. Right, I wasn't. Um and I and I was experiencing success, but that breakup happened around this time as well and it mm-hmm. just kind of it it twisted something in me, um, and I, you know, at that time as well, like after the shows and at different points, I was, you know, getting involved with cocaine and and having these wild parties at my place, mm. um, and you know there was just a lot of craziness, and there was a time that <laughs> I got arrested as well and spent <laughs> a night in um, a jail, um, and surrounding that was just. Um, this desire in me, like that twisted, and and I remember vocalizing this to my friend, and taking identity in the fact that I was so dark, that I would say to them, you know, I I want to be known as the Prince of Darkness, but I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> like in my defense, like I didn't know that the Prince of Darkness is a um is a name that we will euphemize for the uh, devil. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to be known as being so dark and I had, I had some weird, like weird experiences that now looking back on that, it must've been satanic. Yeah. Um, what was it in you that went from this, like I'm fighting for peace and an end to the Iraq war to like, was it just trying, seeing in your role models, this kind of lifestyle and, and thinking, okay, if I get that lifestyle, then the the success and everything else will follow. Like that's, this is how we should do it kind of thing. Um, yeah. Wait, can you rephrase that? So like, it sounds like, uh, you know, back when you were in, uh, primary school or what they call it, when you, when you were, I'm, I'm thinking of the Dan that's sitting outside protesting the Iraq war and then flashing Mm. forward to the Dan. Who's like, I want to be the Prince of darkness. (laughs) Um, how, like how do you get to that yeah point? where did that yeah. turn because because again like this juxtaposition of um of like the angry rebellious person but i'm also seeing in you this much more positive upbeat uh able to shake things off kind of side of you so it right. seems a little out of character to be in a prison cell <laughs> saying i'm going to be the prince of darkness like that seems much more yeah. angry that much seems much more like um having two Dobermans and like ordering people around a a free party, then it sounds like, you know, yeah, but it really wasn't because I mean, what you have to realize that, you know, in the, in the Catholic world we view or in Christianity is we view most of the world in, um, you know, even the most like, uh, liberal of us view, view the world in, in black and white terms. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you don't have that, if you don't have a grounding in morality, um, that can really 
foundationally like say this is wrong this is right um everything's gray okay um and and if and if evil doesn't actually completely exist as an entity um then you know everything in between is just gray and and you can have these people that portray themselves as dark or have a darkness to them but really they're they're really nice guys i mean even gotcha. even the satanic church like yeah um is going to do some good for the world yeah yeah um it, I, it sounds wrong for me to say that but if you look they're probably donating money to um charities that are saving the lives of children gotcha so it's um, like the it's like the language doesn't come with uh the, yeah. the baggage that that we put it on the, the, yeah. that we put on it you were just saying you were just saying that that was going to be your style. <laughs> that was gonna, yeah, that was my style. Yeah, yeah. that's all I was saying. You know, okay. All I was saying was my style, and I took I took pride in it, and yeah. people loved it in me. They thought it was quirky, and my music reflected it. Um, and, you know, just to kind of keep the story going, <laughs> it's been a long time. I, I broke – so I was, a, I was a skateboarder as well, and, and um, in my kind of middle of my second year, while all of this is happening, I broke – my hand um skateboarding which oh, man. broken hand plus guitar playing yeah. doesn't work unless you're tony melendez <laughs> 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 which <laughs> i suppose it still doesn't work but um i can't use my feet to play guitar i can't i, I need i'm dependent upon both my hands yeah i wasn't able to to continue studying so that like just twisted me i focused on the um, music, the the uh, the music business side of things, mm-hmm. um, and then the partying and the drugs. And at that time as well, I had a, uh, a a new girlfriend in my life, and we were both just using each other. She was ten years older than me at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, what's the age group of your listeners, by the way? <laughs> um, I would say over twenty one for sure. Okay, yeah. She, I mean, her profession was uh, a full-time stripper. Like okay. that was what she was. Yeah. So it was like, um, and it is it's significant to the story because later on she ends up having a conversion. But anyway, like that's we'll get to that point. But anyway, like it, it, that relationship was one where we were just both using each other, and it climaxed to a point where I realized in my life that everything was just wrong. Mm-hmm. Everything about me was wrong when she kind of confessed her love to me and said, I love you. And, and, uh, and I protested and said, but you promised me, you promised me that love would never be a part of this. Mm. That's what I said to her because we had made an agreement yeah. that this was just, um, a relationship that wasn't going to be about that because yeah. I was too broke for a relationship. And yeah. so was she. So she kind of confesses that and uh, I get really angry. And then I just realize in my life that something's gone wrong. And I start searching in my mind and I, I loved um, socialism and communism. I was, I was watching all these different mu- movies from around the world and I loved the movie about Che Guevara's story. Che Guevara is a communist revolutionary um, from Bolivia who started a revolution in um, South America. Um, through guerrilla warfare, and mm. his he used to be a doctor when he was younger, and um, when he was you know around the age that I was, he got on a bike and um, drove around uh, South America to kind of find himself and give back, mm. and in that he saw the disparity of um, wealth and 
the extreme poverty and the injustice of it. And at some point, something snapped in his mind and he ended up going on to be this kind of guerrilla warfare uh, revolutionary mm-hmm. um, who's hanging out with Castro. Um, and anyway, I loved I loved that story. He was somewhat of an icon to me. And I just thought, you know, what, you know, what I need to do like my life's wrong now. I need to I need to give back. I need to do something. Um, maybe I'll just go to South America and do the Che Guevara thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll do that. That's what I'm thinking in my head. Yeah. Um, and around that time, my brother Liam um, had just got back from uh, a pilgrimage in Medjugorje. And he and I had, you know, difficulty growing up. Like we didn't really relate well together. Um, but he started calling me and he was very happy to talk with me, excitable, um, joy filled and just fun to talk to. And and it was like a at that time it was a it was a real balm to the restlessness in my heart. Wait, so I, how much what's the age difference between you and your brother? Me and Liam's about three years. He's younger than I am. I'm the okay. oldest. There's, there's, yeah. there's three of us. Another one is six years younger. So what so. was what was your relationship while you're you know when you're younger you're going through all this yeah. you know problems in school and stuff. It, uh, yeah. What, what was that really? I mean, it sounds like uh, that relationship didn't happen until much later in life. I mean, you're mentioning him now. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we with my brothers like. Um, the youngest brother I got on pretty well with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking forward to when he'd get old enough so that I could give him, you know, drugs with me, which is just a weird thing. Yeah. But then with Liam, it was just, we kind of existed yeah. alongside each other. Yeah. And, but we didn't really expend a lot of effort to care for one another. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, difficulties in our relationship. Yeah. Um, so this was kind of out of the blue that he'd be calling me, but it was timely, Mm -hmm. you know, it was at this time when I'm starting to question my, my reality, what I was about, what I exist for, you know, the question of why always existed in me, but now it was coming back to me when I thought I had found the answer. And he calls Um, you and he calls you after going Medjugorje for people who don't know is a place where, um, supposedly Mary is appearing to, um, I think three visionaries or three, three people and maybe it's three in, in, um, Croatia, right? Medjugorje Bos- is a place in Croatia. Bosnia. Bos- I, Bosnia. Think there you actually, go. I think it's in Bosnia, um, yeah, but right on the border. Yeah. So it's, you know, so he, you know, a, a Catholic pilgrimage, you know, your, your brother had come back from. And so he's, yeah, I guess reaching out to you. Yeah, I mean, he came back from a youth festival. There was about 50,000 young people at this festival. So oh, he wow. came back um, having experienced, you know, a lot of joy and freedom because he had questions in his heart. Mm-hmm. My uh, late grandmother at the time when she was alive, um, really Catholic, and um, Liam had some really fundamentally large questions about his existence and life. And um, he would ask her, and, and he would ask her to the point of, it being irritating to her. And she said, Liam in her Irish accent, cause she's Irish and I can't do an Irish <laughs> accent, but she said, Liam, if you want to find out whether God is real or not, you need to go to Medjugorje. You will get your answer there. Wow. Wow. Um, and a week later, um, someone at his church had overheard him talking about this story and said, I'll pay for your ticket. Wow. Was your, and, so was your mom, you know, a, a big, um, was your mom very devoted 
to Our Lady of Medjugorje? Not so much Medj at the time, but definitely Lord and um, yeah. Fatima. So she, um, she had and, heard of Medjugorje, and, and, yeah. and she was like, that's where you need to go. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. But, yeah, so that was the... That was what she said to my brother Liam. Liam went. Liam comes back. He's excited. And he just starts inviting me to things um, that weren't religious, but just to hang out with him and some friends that had also experienced that. Mm-hmm. So I start hanging out with these friends, and they're, they're pretty similar to me, actually. They 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 like the same bands. They look the part. Um, they talk the part. The difference being is that they had had a conversion. Um, and as I'm hanging out with them, I start to just – see in them this peace and freedom that I hadn't seen in other people as much. Uh, it wasn't super obvious, but it was there. It was enough to make me want to keep hanging out with them. And eventually, this led to them planning a trip to go to Medjugorje together about you know a few months, six months later. And I decide... That I'm not going to go. <laughs> like I'm not going. I'm going to go to. I'm going to go to South America and do the Che Guevara thing. You guys do your thing. Uh, but they kept pestering me, and um, Liam kind of was very shrewd, um, very wise in his convincing. Um, he would say, "But Dan, there's great communist and Muslim history in Bosnia, and you can go see it there." And I'm like, yeah, but I mean, I I haven't really heard about Bosnia before. Like, South America is where I want to go. And he'd come back and be like, Dan, look at these pictures. What do you notice? He said, well, I noticed that there's a lot of really hot women in it. He's like, yeah, <laughs> these women, <laughs> they all live in Bosnia. <laughs> and they outnumber the men greatly. And I'm wow. like, oh, okay, that's cool. I can get behind that. Um, and then... um. And then, you know, to just cap it all off, he, 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 he kind of came back to me and said, Dad, okay, I promise I won't ask you anymore. Um, but what if, what if, what if I got somebody to pay for you? And, and that's not it. What if you just come with us, you travel with us, we fly into Split in Croatia and then we'll drive a few hours to Bosnia. But when we get to Medjugorje, you can stay there one night with us only one night you don't have to come to anything religious and then the next day you can get a bus to mostar the capital and um just do your you know drinking women communism (laughs) (laughs) thing dang man and i'm like oh free like actually free liam he's like yeah no you won't have to pay a thing how can I say no to that? Oh yeah, man. So our lady at this point, you know, she's working on overdrive up there thinking, all right, we've only got 24 hours with this guy and then he's going to be off to Mostar. So she says, she's thinking I got, I got to win his heart first. Mm -hmm. And she did. Wow. Like he won. We fly out there. We're driving. And if you've ever driven, uh, or if you've ever flown to Medjugorje, you fly into split, uh, in Croatia, and then you drive down the Adriatic coast, mm-hmm. which is opposite Italy, mm-hmm. um, along uh, Croatia, and then into Bosnia. And on that time, like oftentimes, there's a Medjugorjean um, tour guide that will be telling you the history of the area and all of this kind of stuff, like pointing to some cliffs and say, "You see those white cliffs there? Yes. Well, that's where they got the rocks to build the White House in America, and all mm-hmm. of this kind of interesting stuff." 
but as they're going, they're also praying a rosary. And I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, as my brother, Kieran, the youngest, he, he pulls out his rosary and starts praying. I'm thinking, ah, oh, gosh, you're just chained to this thing. Mm. You're chained. Um, and we get to Medjugorje and I'm not, I'm still not having any of the religious stuff, but I'm with, I'm with Liam and his friends and my brother, my other brother. And I'm having fun cause they're, they're, they're comfortable with going out for a drink and, um, we stay overnight and I think, all right, I, I'll stay for this next day because Liam had told me about these waterfalls nearby that I needed to see. So I was like, yeah, okay, all right, I see the waterfalls, but then I'm going. And this was the, this was at the time of the youth festival as well. So it was a year later or something with 50,000 youth and they're all about to go off to mass, uh, my friends and brothers. And I'm like, all right, I'm not going cause it's the religious, you do, the, you do the religion. I'm going to just do my own thing yeah so they go off and then i'm left to my own devices walking around beautiful sunshine in uh bosnia mountain um and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people everywhere yeah and they're just walking around hand in hand arm in arm at the side of the road banging a djembe dancing smiling laughing talking and i'm looking around and I see their faces and I see, see the expression on their th faces. And I think to myself, oh, I've never had that. And I'm thinking a week ago, I was on all kinds of drugs at this, at this festival. And I remember saying, this is the happiest moment of my life in my stupor. Mm -hmm. And now I'm faced with true joy and it's stabbing me like a dagger to my heart because it's just piercing the truth that i am not happy mm. and that is that is true joy and i don't have that and i've never had it and at that moment when i said and i've never had it um <laughs> a voice interiorly came back to me and said that's not true mm. and i started like some kind of dialogue saying, well, no, it is. I, I don't have that. Like the drug thing doesn't count. I haven't been happy ever. And then a memory came to me of being very small and being at church and my mum pointing to the tabernacle in church and saying to my child ears, inside of there is heaven. And I remember the extraordinary minister going over and opening up the tabernacle and as it opened up my little child mind imagined perfect simpson sky <laughs> blue sky with these fluffy white clouds yeah. just like floating and and then that memory kind of just faded and the knowledge that at that point in my life i had the level of joy that all of these people are experiencing in the safety of my mother's care um, and it started angering me. I said, well, great. You know, I've effed this up. I'm not that child anymore. I've lived more than a decade, not as that child. I'm an adult now. How can I, how can I get that joy again? I've, 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 I've not, be I've not become who I was supposed to be. Like all of these people here, they seem like they're on that right path. I, I've messed it up. 
And the voice came back to me again. And, and bear in mind that like there is no formation inside of me at all. But this voice that came back said, no, you can become a child again. And that didn't make any sense to me. I just remember re rejecting that notion, saying, well, no, I can't be a child again because I'm an adult. I have messed up the past however many years of my life. I cannot be that again. Yes, you can. The voice comes back. Well, how? How is that possible? And then the invitation um, to consider what a child is like um, came to me. And I just started thinking about the like a child, like the the life philosophy of a child, the limitations of a child. A child is limited to it needs authority in its life. Otherwise, it could end up with itself getting killed if it just runs across a road. It needs guidance to know not to run across the road. It needs to be told like when and what to eat. It needs to be directed. It needs to be obedient. The child needs to. Um, learn from others who are more experienced than them in order to be a healthy human. Hmm. And um, that was something in that moment that came back to me. And I realized, okay, okay, I, I think I can, I, I think I can like be at least open to that idea. So I'm walking around and, you know, I'm seeing all of these people and it's just daggers to my heart, just daggers, reminders, sorrow. Is just piercing my heart. My heart is breaking. And I come to this statue there, which is called the Risen Christ statue in Medjugorje. Yeah. It's a 30-foot statue. It's huge. Bronze. It was uh, um, shipped in, or rather it was flown in by a helicopter as a gift from JP2, um, a somewhat private gift um, by JP2 to Medjugorje. And um, the, the the significant thing about it, it's a risen Christ statue. So it looks like a crucifix, yet there is no cross binding Christ. It's mm -hmm. him rising with his arms wide open triumphantly from the grave. That There's this imprint on the ground of him rising out of the grave um, and just in this sort of crucifix position. The significant thing about it is that the knee, uh, the right knee, which stands about... Um, I don't know. I can touch it. So it's like the bottom of a, um, uh, basketball net. I don't know how high that is. Yeah. But it's like five, yeah. Five or six feet. You know, it's, oh, it's more than, I'm, Oh, the knee. Yeah. The knee. So it, yeah. it, 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 it's higher than that. Cause I remember okay. having to reach like up. It was above my head. I mm -hmm. think, I mean, it has been 10 years, so I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it's above my head. And, um, I'm like sat around there. I'm not, I'm not actually next to the statue. I'd heard about the statue from my brother prior to the trip. And there's, there's like lots of people around. And there's this little Irish, uh, not Irish, Italian lady who kind of elbows her way to the front into, in true Italian fashion and <laughs> pulls out this like stack of napkins and just starts swiping at the knee with these each new napkin and then bagging the napkin. I'm thinking, what is she doing? Um, and I remember this story that Liam had told me. He told me that um, from the knee, this water just appears and then trickles down the knee and it just reappears. And it's been happening since like, I don't know, the nineties or something. Um, and it happens constantly. 
And Liam had like told me about it and he said he had sent me some scientific report on it, this detailed um, report that um, had shown inconclusively they didn't know what it was because every time they were sent samples, um, they they ran the tests, reported the tests, but then sent the samples back saying, uh, OK, here's what it is, but you've probably sent us the wrong thing because these are this is human tears hmm. um and i'd read that report and i was like oh yeah this is that thing that everybody thinks is a miracle um and i think yeah it's not a miracle like look at it it's a big bronze statue it's warm out here condensation's yeah. gonna happen in that thing if it's hollow um and it will find its way out through cracks or even more like darkly people have probably stuck some kind of pipe underneath it and um, allowed it to trickle water into it so it comes out and gets these suckers to buy into the fact that it's tears. Mm -hmm. Now, Liam had told me that the miracle significance was that it's a symbol of Our Lady um, perpetually crying at the foot of the cross until all of mankind is brought back under his reign. Mm. Um, anyway, they clear and I go up to it and I, and I, 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 I knock on it to see if it's hollow. It's not like obviously or very hollow. And I, um, try to look for the cracks and I can't see any cracks. And I look around the whole thing to see if I can see any signs of pipes or anything like that. Nothing like that. And eventually I say, well, I, I, I know what, I know what tears taste like. So I'll just, I'll just put it to my mouth dang brave um, <laughs> brave brave person because millions of people have probably touched it's probably it's probably the most bacteria laden <laughs> statue in the area in like 20 miles well you know the, the the way that it appears you know i try to see if i could see where it's appearing from and you the the droplets just are suddenly there yeah and yeah you can't see like where they originally came from and it's really yeah. annoying because yeah. They're coming from somewhere, but it's like, where are they coming it's, from? It's almost like it's, yeah, like it's coming through a, a super porous, like yeah. they, they just start as as um, imperceivable little tiny dots of water that you just start seeing. Yeah. And then they just drops and you yeah. can't find any source. And yeah. um, so I, you know, I swipe it, put it to my mouth and um, it tasted more like blood than it did um tears because it had that kind of metallic mm -hmm, flavor mm -hmm. and um and then from that point like i don't remember much but what i do remember is ending up in a confessional hmm. <laughs> like it doesn't really make sense but at some point i must have made the decision on my own that that was true and what i'd been experienced Seeing the remedy to what I was experiencing was confession, and there was no—I didn't know what confession did really. Yeah. I knew that it was an opportunity to s tell my sins. Maybe I just wanted to go speak to a priest. I don't know. I end up in the confessional after you know trying these uh, this water, and then um, I'm pouring out my life to him. Like I just tell him everything, um, and when he's done, you know, he gives me penance and. And I leave and I walk outside and my friends had somehow figured out that I was there. Mm -hmm. So there was a whole like line of them, like 10 or 15 of them, um, applauding me. And 
this moment of confession was probably one of the most profound moments in my life because um, I experienced freedom from my sin in a tangible way. Mm. I could, we, I hope that people have experienced this before in confession, you come out and you feel like you're 30 pounds lighter. Yeah. Um, I felt like that. But then all of a sudden there was this clarity in my mind. There was this clarity about God's existence. Mm. I knew that he existed. There was clarity about um, matters of faith. I, I start talking with my friends and they're just amazed uh, that I'd been and we and we start going around. I pick up my guitar and I just think I gotta I gotta write music. I gotta write. I gotta write. So wow. I I pick up my guitar. I go into a little you know. There's these trinket shops, and um, I'm like joyfully a Catholic all of a sudden, and um, I'm in there like looking around, and I'm drawn to this statue. Uh, it's a small like I don't know ten inch statue of uh, this really buff looking guy. Um, who had wings and is stepping on some other guy's face and thrusting a sword into him. And I'm like, I'm like excuse me, what is this doing in a Catholic store? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, here's somebody about to murder someone else. Like, why is this yeah. in here? The guy's like, oh, it's St. Michael. Mm. And I said, oh, okay, so there must be a story behind that. Um, what's the deal? And he's like, well, it's, it, w- look at this little book. So he picks up a little tan booklet on St. Michael and gives it to me. I flick through a couple of pages, pages and I'm hooked. So I'm like, I'll buy that. So I buy the little book. I go outside. I read the story from start to finish. And it relates to my story so much. Um, and, you know, obviously the rebellion of the angels, like, culminating in um, the devil saying, we're going to be like God. And then Michael saying, Michael, like who is like unto God and this mm. great battle happening in him thrusting him down into hell. Um, and that story just hit me. I said, that that needs to be told on guitar. Mm. So I go away and write this song on guitar and it's just, it's just a, it had these chords in it that represented the devil, chords that represented uh, St. Michael and a progression, like a rock funk progression that represented the battle. And my friends are just like awestruck by all of this. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah, like, <laughs> they said that, and then they're yeah. like, "Okay." And oh yeah, by the way, what did the priest give you for your penance? Uh-huh. And I said, "You what?" And, he, and they said, "Priest gives you penance." I said, "Oh dang it! I didn't know the priest gave you something. He didn't give me anything. <laughs> what did he give you guys? Like a booklet or a rosary or something? Because he didn't give me anything." And yeah, yeah, I mean. I don't know why they call it penance. He's like, well, they're like, no, no, no. Penance is like, do you know what penance means? I'm like, no, I have no idea what penance means. Yeah. Like they explain it to me and I sit there thinking and, I, and then all of a sudden I like throw my guitar down, um, gently <laughs> and I jump up and start like screaming joy and excitement and dancing and crying and laughing. Um, and they're like, what, 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 what's happening? What's happening? I was like, he, he gave me penance. He gave me penance. I said, well, what, what did he give you? I said, well, I just remembered what he said. He said, and I thought he was just suggesting something nice to me. Mm. He said, you need to go out and um, get yourself acquainted with St. Michael. Oh, wow. Like, 
you guys you don't realize it's like he said that i forgot about it because i was just thinking about like being free and i walked away and um that must have stuck with me or something because i ended up in this store and i saw this statue and i didn't know what it was and then it led to me buying this little booklet which led to me writing this song and and i feel like i'm like connected to this saint michael or whoever he is yeah and it's amazing and they were just like flabbergasted by that. And as the day went on, this is still day one, by the way. Yeah. As the day went on, like I, re- I, I re- something came to me. I was like, guys, you realize something? And I said, well, yeah, what? And I said, well, you know mass. And they said, yes, Dan, we know mass. I'm like, well, y- you know, like the the piece of bread in that. And they're like, yes, Dan, we know the piece of bread. <laughs> I'm like, well, 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 that thing, like, it's not a thing. It's like that's actually God, right? Because, um, like Jesus said, like something like you know, take this, eat this. It's my body, and they're like, uh, <laughs> "What the heck is happening?" <laughs> like, <laughs> who are you? And I'm like, yeah. So, so if that's true, doesn't that mean that like we should, like, always want to, like, eat it? And they were like, "Oh my gosh, this is crazy." <laughs> and I'm like, so, so uh, I'm like, can we go to mass now? Um, and they're like, well, let's have a look. There's like 20 masses a day or something. In yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, yes, we can go to mass now, but it's not in English. I'm like, I don't care. I'm, yeah. I'm there for the, the, the bread Jesus. part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I went there and, and I experienced through that just this great healing. And, and a revelation came to me. The last time that I put something on my tongue, it was um, drugs. Yeah, and it's something that promises you joy and fulfillment and love and community, and yet at the same time it 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 gives that to you and, and takes from you and it just ravages you. And I realized in that moment that pills are the Eucharist of the devil. Hmm. You know, like this is um, what I had been a part of, and I realized in that moment as well that the Eucharist was this gentle non-forceful um form of <laughs> ecstasy like that was how my brain tried to understand it yeah, at that time yeah um in the uh what i felt from that was natural and good and holy um and the same as like what i was trying to get from drugs and so, so these these weird things just kept happening day after day in Medjugorje. Like weirder things happened. Like I was sat down there, um, and you know, there's hundreds of people just milling about. They're like walking around, crossing paths, everything. We're sat in in one corner of the courtyard at the front of the 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 church, and I single out a man who's like working his way through the crowd toward us, and I um, suddenly get this like knowledge in my head that he's hungarian and that he's not up to any good like he's not he's not here for good reasons he comes right to us like he singles us out and sits next to us and starts talking and i detect an accent and i ask him where you're from and he says i'm from hungary and i get excited i'm like i knew you were from hungary this is crazy and he's like whatever he starts talking inside of me i'm getting like really agitated and i don't know why so i have to get up and just leave i leave him with my friends because they're in the conversation and i find like a white uh, it must have been a norbertine a norbertine or a dominican like walking across and i grab him and i said father um how do i know if somebody here is not up to any good and he looks at me confused and says well, i don't know um what's he saying about mary i said well i don't know good question i'll go ask him so i go back and he's in the middle of 
like they're in the middle now of this intense argument where he is holding his Bible out saying, this is a portal for hell. Our lady is a deception from the devil. Um, you're all getting sucked down into hell. Mm. And I see this from a distance and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, it's all true. What is happening to me? I pull out of my pocket, the St. Michael prayer and pray it. And he then gets up and leaves. And as he walks away from that, I'm just left like holding my hand to my head, like with my eyes wide open, like what, how did I know these things? Yeah. And then I just think, okay, I've done way too many drugs in my life. Like this is, <laughs> I'm actually going crazy now. So I like grab a priest, like, and sit him down and I uh, say, father, you know, and I explained it my whole life. And he said, well, you've been to confession. Like I said, yes, I've been to confession. Um, and I explained all of the situations to him, the weird ones, and he just kind of smiled and said, right, okay, you went to confession. You have had people praying for you. Your mum's been praying for you. You were confirmed. You did not accept God in your life. You have accepted him now. And then he opened up to Isaiah 11, chapter 11, verse 2, mm. and then pointed to the spiritual gifts that are given to us. And then he relayed every story I told him to one of the gifts and said, you, God loves you. He wants to win your heart. He is just showing you that he deeply cares for you and he wants you. Mm. Um, I'll go and sin no more. Um, and I walked away from that knowing that I needed to change my life. Like knowing that after Medjugorje, this experience, it was all done. My dreadlocks, which I didn't explain to you, or my long hair was going to be cut off. I was going to leave rock school i was going to explain to the girlfriend that, that that i had at the time that this couldn't work and um leave the bands behind and go home and get a job now um i i ended up doing this i ended up like committing myself to quitting drugs quitting partying and all of that and i moved back home after medjugorje and took my mother in her hands and we both just ugly cried like we didn't even <laughs> Talk. I bet. Ugly cried. My dad, um, you know, comes in. Here's the news that I'm deciding to just quit everything and come back home. And he's like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, like this isn't gonna work. We know your tricks. We know what you're up to. Yeah. We know that you've done this before. We can't trust it. Um, what can you do to prove to us that this is uh, not just another scheme to get more money out of us or anything? Yeah. And I said, well, I'll get. Uh, look, I'll get a job. I promise. I'll get a job. I'll pay. I'll pay off my debts. I'll. I'll. I'll do these things. Um, and he he says, okay, but you know, time will tell whether this is just another Daniel phase. Um, and so you know, he he's come from a place of like you know faith doesn't exist so this yeah. is something else yeah um which you know now 10 years later with a wife and a kid working for a catholic organization i wonder how he reconciles that but anyway <laughs> that's another story yeah. <laughs> um so so i i started working on this vineyard making wine um in my local town and um just jumping into the faith reading c.s lewis reading the church fathers reading the catechism reading the bible reading um venerable mary of agrada's book the mystical city of god about our lady and reading saint athanasius and just di digesting all of this stuff um and, and at a certain point you know having left behind rock school and everybody thought i was crazy mm -hmm. like it was around the time that the movie into the wild came out so yeah. when they i just like left and started working on this vineyard they thought that i was going to go out and eat some weird roots and die <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i pretty much had severed most of the ties um, for the time being. 
and experience started to experience lots of weird like repercussions from probably demonic stuff in my life getting yeah. lots of as with priests and attending the sacraments almost daily um for several months fell in love with the desert fathers and this her her hermit way of life and yeah. prayed god like i don't want this world i i i I've, it's always been in me i've always known that i'm not that everything what what's the question for everything like what is the purpose i've always known that there's got to be more i want you solely lord i want to be a hermit that day i was actually offered by my boss to um take up a position where uh i would be needed like for 16 hours a day working on the vineyard in the in the harvest time and he said look um we need to know that you're going to be here like so I have this like little uh, old camper trailer that's hooked up to some electronics around the back over there. I mean, it's in the middle of a f- like a field facing a 13th century walled garden and a vineyard and surrounded by woods. So there's no one around and I totally understand if you don't want it because it's kind of uh, solitude and I, I just <laughs> into laughter and said you're an answer to my prayer he's not christian so he just looked at me like what the heck are you talking about <laughs> um so i ended up living in this thing for two years and, dang um i would digest more and more and i had priests come they sell it they they blessed it they walked all around it with a hyssop branch and blessed it and they would come inside and one priest even brought the eucharist with him we had adoration in there and he let me receive it and it became this like holy formation ground this kind of spiritual womb um for me just work manual labor making wine and working on the vineyard um while studying the faith wow um that led me to like want to uh pursue vocation uh more formally and the cfrs at that time the franciscan friars of the renewal that are based in new york had a couple of houses in england and they would they would run you two thousand events and uh, different festivals. So I attended those and met with uh, a guy, uh, a priest there called Father Emmanuel, and he became my spiritual director, you know, 10 years ago. Wow. Um, also, eight years ago, whatever it was. And uh, through that relationship, um, I started just living. I, I visited them several times in Ireland, England, Northern England. And then I, I eventually did a vocation discernment weekend with them and at that weekend there was this american guy who had done net in the usa and he had come over to me and said um oh you should consider net it's in america and i thought i'm here to be a cfr i am never gonna consider what you're talking about um but then like if at lunchtime that day father emmanuel said you should do net. I did net a long time ago. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is weird. And then I went and spoke with the vocation weekend, uh, the vocation uh, director who was Father Gabriel. And he said, yeah, you're not ready to be a CFR. Uh, there's no way we would accept you right now. Um, you need to go do something like Franciscan University in Steubenville or net ministries. Yeah. And I, and I said, all right, fine. Going away from it, just dumbstruck by the fact that three people in the short space of time had mentioned net and just thought okay this must be something from the lord and also the one hundred thousand dollar price difference of the two options he gave deciding <laughs> yeah, yeah. factor yeah um so you know i decided to do net based on a complete whim it it 
like to get me to the States is a whole nother story, which I'm not going to go into, but it was this crazy story that I shouldn't be here, but I ended up here anyway. Um, and then just realized for the first time in my life that to be a saint, you don't have to be a hermit. You don't have to be, you know, there's a universal call to holiness. Meanwhile, like at this time, like the girl that I told you about, like she had seen my crazy conversion. Um, and I started just feeding her letters from St. Paul on the dignity of women. Oh, wow. And one comes back to me and says, I'm never going to strip again. Wow. I'm never, I'm again i'm like oh that's great this is really positive it wasn't conversion but it's like she had made a decision not to do it again and then um later on i would send her like the dignity uh stuff on the dignity of life and she came back and she said i I will never you know i'll never contracept or have an abortion again um and then later on she just started reading stuff on her own yeah and she said to me, you know, before I came out to the States, I want to be Catholic. She wow. moved back to her country in Denmark. And on her 33rd birthday, that just happened to be the year. That just happened to be the time, the only time in the year that they received people into the church was on her 33rd birthday. Wow. And she was received into the church. Beautiful, white dress, looking like I've never seen her before. Wow. Um, and it was incredible. We ended up um, going our separate ways when I went to America completely just friendship just kind of died away and mm-hmm. um, when I came out here you know I just really discovered like I could live this call to holiness I had to like work on some serious things like the 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 depth of my brokenness was really revealed through um, my broken sexuality um, and the seeming lack of control I had um, over that um, and uh, I, I just, I just, I loved the ministry here. I loved the the focus on relationship and evangelization and discipleship. And so I stuck around for, a f- you know, year after year, and um, eventually got a job here and met my now wife, who has the opposite story to me. She was homeschooled and <laughs> lived a perfect life. But we, but like coming into this relationship together, just seeing how God, like, he really does. Uh, right straight with crooked lines, you know. Yeah. Um, he really does. We he's about a masterpiece. He's about yeah. weaving a story together to bring people into his family, and not just to leave them like to themselves, but to have them work for him in his kingdom, in his vineyard, um, to bear fruit. And th- I mean, that's I. I that's a really long winded. I've been talking a lot, but this oh, is no. story of. You know, how God can take wherever you are and however much darkness you experience, he can take that. And if you take the position like Our Lady and you're just willing to say yes and you're not going to count the cost, you're not going to say, oh, but that will that will mean that I can't, whatever. If you're willing to say yes, he will take you to a place where there is fulfillment um, there is peace and you know of his love. You know, last night I had this dream, which was incredible. Um, I was giving a talk about in this dream and I don't give this talk. I, I've never given this talk. I was giving this talk about truth, beauty and goodness. And in my dream, 
I was shown like the universe. Like <laughs> this is just how crazy. Wow. I, I was like shown the universe, all of the galaxies and everything. Mm. Um, and it was God showing me that this beauty of creation um, is nothing compared to his beauty. Mm. And in, in the talk that I was giving in my dream, I was moved to tears at the intensity of God's beauty. Mm. beauty. Mm. And I was explaining it to people um, and just directing it back to this one truth that he is love, that he is love. And um, all of these things tie together to communicate one thing to man and that is, I love you, um, and I'm I'm crazy about you, yeah. like nuts about you, and I will do whatever it takes to bring you into my family and to show you that love. Man, that's a wild that's a wild ride, Dan. That whole thing is a man. I I really hope um, for people who are listening who maybe think like you said like think that they're far from God or feel like uh, like there's no happiness, you know. I hope they, they hear this story and, and um, maybe you're just encouraged not to, to travel all the way to Medjugorje to find God, but, you know, maybe just to... Um, what stood out to me was that line where you said, you can become a child again. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe just encouraged to kind of remember a time where they did have that joy and, and ask themselves if, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I more, th- I think about people that might be listening maybe that don't believe in God or, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope they hear this story. I know that this definitely speaks to me as far as wanting to, to just return to that, that joy, like wanting to just open up and be, and be led into joy. And I think that's such a, such like a hopeful story that you can mm-hmm. be so, um, that you can feel so far, um, but yet he just constantly chases after you. Like God just, just is chasing after all of us, and the, mm-hmm. and what and what extreme lengths he goes to, to mm-hmm. get us places. You, like he's not afraid to use you know anything to get us um, to kind of acknowledge him. I know. I I mean I know you have to go, but but maybe if you want to just share some last words, if someone who's listening who's like yeah. man. Man, I really wish I could have a moment like that, or I could have this experience that Dan's had, and I don't know if I've ever had that. Like, what would you? What would be kind of your parting words for those people? Uh, I guess, I guess, two things I want to say. If you have experienced an intense past, maybe your past is different to mine. Maybe there's uh, some other forms of darkness in your past that are there. Um, just know that the Lord is orchestrating and weaving something that is good in your life like for my past i there's a lot of darkness a lot of sin and a lot of things that i would have done differently if i was formed well Mm. and yet somehow god has taken that and he's turned it into something good he's used he's using my past he's using the depth of the sin of my past to make something good and he has made it who i am today and it's the same for everybody if you've experienced whatever you've experienced in your past, he has that for your good to bring something good out of that. Um, and that's something that might require a process of healing to come to that realization. But to begin to think in terms of how is God um, woven his story into you? 
for those I know I know this this can be a, a point of comparison for yeah. people as well. Yeah. They can look at my story or a story like mine and say, Oh, wow. I wish I had a story like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> where's um, the where's the closest free party? <laughs> yeah, firstly, don't go out and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do, do, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's dark. Yeah. It's not it's not something to share. And I, I'm trying to it's not something to want to do. It's so, something that I want to share and I do not want to glorify sin in any, in yeah. any of this. I want to glorify God's power mm-hmm. to take something so dark and turn it into something so good. And I'm sure if you could choose to go back and re, like have that moment earlier in life, you pr- you probably would you probably would choose that. Right. Otherwise, right now I'd be raising my kids to go to free parties, which yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I'm raising yeah, yeah. them saints from yeah. the earliest age in yeah. um, in the best way possible. I hope. Yeah. Um. But for those that don't have this story, like understand, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. But also in that sense, like to whom um has been forgiven much is loved much. And as St. Therese of Lisieux kind of says, is that she has been forgiven more than somebody with a story like mine. Mm. And how do you work that out? Well, it's, it kind of goes back to this idea of, well, there are two ways to save someone. There's one to pull them up out of a quagmire, and there's another one to guide them around it. Mm. Um, and she makes kind of the point that she was kind of forgiven before she had the opportunity to make those mistakes, which she would have made yeah. if she was given the opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to realize is that, um, we all have the, uh, ability for us to just go off the deep end at any moment. None of us are, uh, on this straight and narrow. I am not, I'm walking on a tightrope and, um, I'm guided by grace and any moment, any one of us could fall off that. And the moment that you think, no, I'm on this path and I'm good. That's the moment that the, the evil one kind of has you. So rejoice in the fact that you have been guided around a quagmire. And that story in of itself as well is something that you need to take pride in and you need to tell that story with joy to people. Mm. Man. Dan, thank you so much. I know you have to go. And uh, thank you so much for just, you know, taking the time to kind of, you know, tell that story. And I'm just so glad that that we have this kind of long medium to to allow your story to get out there. And I really think it's going to bless a lot of people. And <clears throat> yeah, again, Dan, you're always just such a, a bright and honest, you know, person. I, I really enjoy um, speaking with you every time I do. Thank you, brother, man. Yeah. And I really appreciate you. Uh uh, helping me relive this because, um, you know, after 10 years of living, um, it, it, and working in a ministry, you kind of, you put that to the back cause there's, there's, there's greater things to come yeah. and there's more important things for the now. And that's a, that's in my past, but I do not recount the blessings yeah. enough. So thank you. Yeah, of course, man. Um, well tell people where, I mean, this is the part where if you want to plug anything or give some, um, shout out or a place where people I guess could get in touch with net. I have links to net, um, in the show notes, but yeah. Anything like that that you want to yeah, check out? Yeah. Check out, um, our website and our Facebook page. And then also we, we host a podcast as well, which oh, yeah, is, that's right. Um, uh, which we interviewed you on. So you can yeah. come listen to Edmund on that. Um, and, uh, the podcast really is, you know, I'm, I'm, I interview, um, 
different people who are working in ministry or are involved in ministry for their perspective on um, the current state of ministry. Um, and there's, yeah, there's lots of really good episodes, which uh, I think that will be of value for you if you consider yourself a missionary disciple. You're on Fireside right now? With um, We're on iTunes. We're probably... We're, well, we like you host, on, you host on Fireside, so if I link to... Uh, awesome. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much, Dan. Um, I'll have all the links up here and everything. And again, thanks for coming on. Yeah, you're the man. Thanks right. so much, brother. <laughs> yep. Take care. God, God bless. bless. Bye now. Bye.